You want a life where you can fully embrace yourself. You want to live life on purpose and on your terms. You want to tap deeper into your soul as you grow into your purpose work and you no longer want to hide in the shadows. Hey, I'm Danielle Amy and I am obsessed with helping humans human. I am on a mission to normalize that we are here to feel, heal, experience, connect, and grow. I have transformed many darker sides of this journey into the most incredible life I could imagine. My ducks aren't always in a row. In fact, I think I lost one. But yet, I have created a beautiful family, comfortable lifestyle, and a freedom-based business along the way. All while learning to love and accept myself as a soul that's on a human experience. Through my intuitive teachings, real talks, and guest interviews, I can help you as we help the world to love ourselves just a little bit more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Daring to be Human. So this week, I have a wonderful guest with us called uh, Laura Jack, who is with us. And one thing I wanted to have her with us for today is sharing the aspect of grief. But before we get into that today, I want her to introduce herself to you guys and maybe tell us just a little bit about what got her on this voyage and journey that she's currently on today. So welcome. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's good to be here. Um, When I read the title of your podcast, I thought, yes, dare to be human. Because I think grief is probably one of the most basic human experiences that we can have. And we, for whatever reason, find it to be so foreign, but it's something that we all experience at some point. Um, So what led me on this journey myself was the uh, sudden and tragic death of my mom in 2008. Um, she was walking across the street and she was run over by a car. It was a total freak accident. Wow. And so it just turned my life upside down. And, um, that kind of began my journey to myself really, um, losing my mom. It's like, I always say that the mother daughter relationship or the mother child relationship is a, a belly button relationship. Uh, where it's like we're connected at the core of our of ourselves and and so you know when she was gone I had to figure out who I was going to be moving forward without her and I was also previous to her dying was like a very big lover of life I've always been zest filled and just full of life and energy and her death really um It didn't put that light out, but it took it down to a very low, low, (laughs) dim (laughs) light. And and so then it was like, okay, how can I blow on this flame, on this tiny, tiny pilot light of a flame um, in order to uh, reclaim that that vibrancy that I once had? And so that's basically been my journey for the last 14 years is rediscovering my own light and then shedding that light on other people to help them grow and heal. That's beautiful. And I think that is a really interesting perspective too, because what I was hearing you say more than anything is your, your mom began to teach you like polarity, um, of the other side, you know? Um, cause so for me personally, that was something I had a battle with is I'm opposite. I came from the darkness and moving into the light. And most of my life, a lot of people didn't understand that world. If you came from the other side, I call it the other side, um, <laughs> of, of being more readily optimistic, um, more hopeful, more cheery. And I usually was more dim, dismal and like reserved. And I mean, through time, I understood why and all those, those things. But the context of life was interesting because there was a moment in my life that I've never forgotten. Um, I was in high school and I was in physics class. And at this time, my depression was like at its all time worst. 
And I sat in class and I had like a friend of mine sitting in front of this guy named Josh. And he's like, well, he looks at me. He's like, what is your problem? Um, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you just always look so sad and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess it's like depression. And then he goes, what's that? And I'm like, you don't know what depression is? He's like, I mean, I, I get it. He's like, I mean, like I, I know the definition. He's like, but no, I have no idea what that feels like. He's like, why would you even have that in your life? And that was like one of those moments that never left me of realizing that just because we feel a certain way and just because somebody cares doesn't mean that they understand. And then just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean it carries a state of permanence because there's events that can happen in our life that begin to teach us something more. So having, I feel like that's kind of was something that was presented to you. So what was it like for you? I mean, I guess going beyond the literacy of losing your mom. So like pass it a few years down the road as you stare at yourself in the mirror and you're probably still probably trying to figure out who you're looking at. You know, where was your pivotal moment that you began to find the light in yourself again in a new way? Yeah. So it was interesting because I think one of the the walls that fell, thank you again for sharing that part of your story with us too. I really do want to just acknowledge that because it is a big deal. Um, and, and you're right. You know, like I lived my life in a chipper, cheery, joyful way and never really had permission to feel the other feelings actually. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of friends in my life like you who they were attracted to me and I was attracted to them to like understand that. So anyway, I just wanted to say that before I moved into your question because it was, it's really valuable. Um, So a few, it was really about a year in what I realized is that I couldn't give what I didn't have. So before, and and what that felt like was crap (laughs) because people had certain expectations of me from my previous existence that I was the person who was there for them, that was the listener that loved them, that was so full of life, that was inspiring, that was joyful. I didn't have any of that anymore. So then the expectation met with my new reality, felt like I was a huge disappointment. And so... I remember just being like, I'm just not available. So, which is what causes, I think, a lot of isolation in grievers. Um, and I do want to define grief a little bit later. So just remind me to come back to that. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so it was just like, okay, I'm going through all this. Like my old, like people knew what I was going through on some level because they knew my mom and they like knew how close we were and they knew that it was devastating and tragic and all that stuff. I was still trying to figure out what I was going through too, though, because it wasn't like I was living at home anymore. I was 25. My daily life had evolved into my own independence and I had been living abroad. And so it wasn't like it was impacting my daily life. It was impacting me at a soul level that was still shaking out. Right. Um, And so I remember, though, I decided that I was going to go to massage school. So I went to a four year university, got a degree. Um, My dad paid for my private school, like you know, like that was kind of the thing that you do when you're, you know, from my family is you go to university and I didn't, I wanted to be a hairstylist actually, (laughs) because basically I wanted to be a therapist, but I didn't want to go to school for it. Right. And, And so anyway, I decided I wanted to go to massage school and my dad was really disappointed. Um, and it was because, you know, he had certain expectations of who he thought I was going to be in this world. And so, again, coming up against someone else's expectations and then being faced with, like, well, what do I 
want? Like, what are my expectations of myself? And one of the things, one of the greatest gifts of my mom's death was permission to be me. Yeah. Uh, Because she was the person whose opinion mattered the most to me. And not that I don't care about my dad or his approval. I do a lot. And I've worked on that for the last 14 years. Um, And he's still very much alive and part of my life. And I love him so much. And my mom and I, she's my belly button person, right? So she was my mentor, my guide, my support, my intuitive partner in crime. Like we were just so connected. And so what I had to discover was just really, really different without her. And I remember... I decided to go to massage school and my dad was really disappointed. Not because he cares what other people do. He's like, yeah, I'm so glad that's a thing that people do, but I didn't think that was going to be your thing that you do. Cause right. you know, I just paid for you to go to private university and, you know, get your degree. And I also come from a Jewish background. So anybody who out there who's like Jewish knows that like you become a doctor or you become right. a lawyer or you that's become a, mm-hmm. right. And so like there was a lot of pressure from a historical and ancestral standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. And I just have always kind of rebelled against what I'm supposed to do anyway. And so anyway, um, going to massage school was a pivotal moment because he's like, I'm not going to pay for that. I hope you know. And he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just being pretty matter of fact. He's a financial advisor. So like that's He's just a matter of fact kind of guy. What kind of return am I getting on this? Right, exactly. (laughs) And and I just said, that's okay. I'll figure it out. You know, I'm going to figure it out for myself if that means I have to like have a couple jobs or if I have to whatever, like that's Mm -hmm. okay. This is important to me. I don't know why exactly. And he's like, is this because your mother died? And I was like, probably. (laughs) Like, yes, probably. But it was also because I knew that that was the next step in my healing that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... One of the beautiful things about massage that I learned over those years was that I was able to heal things that were living in my body that I couldn't yet express the words for. Wow. Because as we learn in massage school, the issues live in the tissues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so all of my emotional stuff that I wasn't ready to express out loud Mm -hmm. was like I was able to release through tears through a massage. Wow. Yeah, so that dormancy and like suppression, you know, that like you withhold, held, like got to get. That's what the whole time you're talking, like there's this one defining word that I feel is like the gift your mother gave you was like the freedom, the freedom to be, to become like this beautiful individual. And it's like, although her presence in the physicality was, you know, really inspiring and a pivotal factor for you, but at the same time, like her gift, like you said, her gift to you is something like, I think that's the part of life that's tricky. I'll use that word. Tricky. Yeah, tricky. Um, with death of, of the, the gift that is brought because of it. And, and, and I think the gift is not always found readily. Yeah. And I think that would probably be a perfect time for you too. I would like you to talk about how you define death. Um, I mean, grief about, you know, of yeah. how we see that. I would Absolutely. like to hear your perspective on that. For sure. So, So fast forward, I became a massage therapist. I went back to school. I actually moved back down to Panama where I'd been living. I like did all this stuff. We traveled. My husband and I got married. We traveled the world for a year. I became a health coach. I was like, then I was like, this isn't deep enough. Like health is great. I really believe in health coaching, but I was like, there's something deeper for me. And then I Mm -hmm. decided to become a a life coach and a transformational life coach at that, like got really into all this stuff. And then I was like, one night I had this dream basically that I was meant 
it was really a download for my mom was like what I really felt like it was, but it was like, I'm here to help people love their life after loss and let that be a moment that awakens them to life. And, and then I created a program called surviving to thriving, basically in the image of everything I had done for myself to heal. It was, I called it a holistic, I still do call it a holistic approach to healing after loss, where you actually look at like, who do I want to be? Like, and how, and like, how do I take care of myself in those moments where I just, all I want to do is lay in bed. Right. And like, how do I take those baby steps? And then I found the grief recovery Institute six years later, um, through this journey, I found the grief recovery Institute. And when I found that book, um, I, I hadn't written my own book yet, but it, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. I had read so many books about grief, um, and none of them really rang full true to me. Yeah. When I read this particular book, The Grief Recovery Handbook, I felt like it was like the answer to my prayers. Um, and one of the ways that they, they define grief in a few different ways. So I'll tell you all of the definitions. Um, I became a trainer for the Institute. I got trained and was asked to be a trainer like within – the first two hours because I'd already read the book like 20 times and taken like 20 people through it. So I was like, yes, sure. That sounds great. (laughs) So I've been doing that for the last many years and now I only lead their online advanced training. And that's really been a beautiful gift as well. But you know, like going backwards. Um, So Grief Recovery Institute defines grief in some different ways and I'll say them slowly and then we can process them together if you want. The first one is that grief is the conflicting feelings that come at the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So it's the conflicting feelings that come basically when things change. So Mm -hmm. death is only actually one example of grief. True. Divorce, retirement, having a baby, getting married, conflicting feelings that come when things change. I actually love milestone grief. That's like one of my favorite ones because it's always surprising because we yeah. sell, we're supposed to be celebrating and we feel like crap and we don't know why. And it's because we have conflicting feelings about graduating, about moving, about retiring, about mm-hmm. having a baby, about getting married, about all the things that are considered to be great things. We also have like, oh no, but like now I'm, now I'm not single anymore. Now I don't have, now I have kids and I can't sleep ever again. Or like, (laughs) there's so many mixed feelings that we don't have the chance to acknowledge because we live in a very, um, a society, falsified world. Yes. Beautiful. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the first definition. I'd love to hear like what you take from that. No, I, I actually concur. And, um, I, I agree because actually one thing I've told my clients and I didn't, I didn't necessarily explore like the, the terminology or any, had any insight whatsoever upon grief. But what I noticed commonalities upon is behaviors such as, or, or I don't know what you would even classify depression as like mental illness. Um, these, these calibers of classification that we have, whether it's habits, behavioral, mental, physical, and when we're starting breaking, breaking them out of our systems, like you're saying, I, I started to recognize that I almost was like longing for that place because although I, I destroyed my life and it was destroying relationships and my willing likeness to do anything, it still carried a state of comfort. So telling it goodbye was like, 
losing a part of myself I had always known. And I think deep down inside for me was like that part of me kept me alive, even though it, I didn't want to live. You know, it was like this really crazy dance. And then so as I started working with clients, as my spiritual gifts and stuff came in years ago, and I was led down this path briefly, I think to understand myself greater is really what was going on. And I'm, I'm working with these women and I'm hearing their things and they're starting to transfer the stuff. And then I literally one day was led to go look up. I think it's like, it depends on which article. Some say five, some say seven. And I think there's one that says nine stages of grief. Mm. And it wasn't because of somebody died. It was the process of their life transitioning on to another chapter and their identity was lost. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I fit into this new role? And like you just said, I feel really almost ridden with shame and guilt that I'm not excited right now. I want to go cry in a corner. Like I'm overstimulated and I'm kind of overwhelmed. How do I wear these new shoes? How do I incorporate this new chapter? So, I mean, that's been my mm -hmm. take personally. And then what I've witnessed with people of the years is that's our hesitancy sometimes I think to change is then we then have to grieve the process of what has just become because it's not a linear emotion. It is a very dynamic experience to really move on to another side. Absolutely. Yeah. And I honestly think that, you know, what you just touched on about not being able to make change in yourself is like a huge thing that so many people go through. And they're like, I say, I think they're like, I want this thing. I want this thing so badly. Why can't I get over this or get through it or like feel differently or better, you know, money or lose weight or whatever the thing is that they say they want. And it's because some part of them, like your depression, like you said, is still serving them. It was keeping them safe, right? It's still keeping me safe because this is what I know. And that goes back to just being animals. We're like our critter brains, right? Like, mm -hmm. And so I think that you're totally right. And we can grieve an identity. We can grieve a part of ourselves. And when it comes to the stages of grief, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who came up with the stages, she actually, they were for the, for the idea of death and dying. Um, they weren't actually for grief, meaning the death of someone. And so the interesting thing about the stages as they are of death and dying, um, <clears throat> I would say it's actually more relevant to what somebody goes through when they get a diagnosis or when they're going through a major life transition than when someone dies. Nobody's ever like, did they die? Like we might be in shock, but we're not in denial. But if somebody right. says you have an illness, there's a lot of denial mm -hmm. and yeah. there's a lot of bargaining. Okay, I'll do whatever it takes. Or when a relationship is dying and the partner says, hey, I think I want to get a divorce. And the person says, no, and they don't even address it for a while, right? Mm -hmm. They might be in denial and then they go into bargaining and they're like, okay, I'll go to counseling. I'll do this. I'll do this. And they get into anger, you know, like, but that's actually much more of when something is dying and in transition than actually when someone has died. Correct. And well, so, what you yeah. made me think of, though, is as you're saying that, well, at least for me, I'm like, because we're not, it's not really, I think it's the illusionary process of grieving the person, but really we're now grieving a new identity of ourself. Like you said, Absolutely. I think earlier about the, it's the connection to that relationship now has been severed or disconnected. Yeah. So it's not so much of their presence not being there. It's more of who am I now? Right. Without that person. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, like literally that's like, if you go to my website, it says like the surviving to thriving program is like answering the most difficult question a griever has, which is who am I now? Wow. And who do I want to be moving forward? And you know, it's so interesting. So I wrote the compassion code, which is a book. The subtitle is how to say the right thing when the wrong thing happens. And the reason I think people say the wrong thing so often is because they're thinking, they're speaking 
about the person who's died rather than the person who's left behind. So when they're like, at least they're in a better place, I always say, let go of the at least. Um, at least they're in a better place. At least you did it. At least you can have more kids. At least you fill in the blank terrible thing that somebody says by accident because they don't know better. It's because they're not thinking about the person who's actually just standing right in front of them, who's being so human and so deep in their grief, which is, gosh, like there's nothing, no words that I can say to you right now that's going to make this better. Yeah. Except that maybe, which is to yeah. say, hey, it's okay for you to be where you are. It sucks. Absolutely. It sucks that you don't have that person in your life. And like to just honor what they're feeling and hearing them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of just acknowledging the loss of identity is recognizing it's about how we navigate our world differently when the people who we love so, so, so much are no longer in it and what it means to us. And so, which takes me to one of the, another definition, another definition of grief that I love, which is the loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. And so when we lose someone we love, so in death or in divorce or in estrangement, or maybe they just don't work with us anymore. It doesn't even have to be a death or something dramatic, but they go get a different job. It's a loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. I thought we were going to work on that project together. I thought we had a long working relationship ahead of us. I thought we were going to be married till we died. I thought we were going to raise our family together as a joint unit. I thought that you were going to be here when I graduated from high school, right? Like whatever it is, like, it's like we lost these dreams and expectations that we had future paced. It's why miscarriage is so painful to people. It's, you know, and people are like, you didn't even know the baby. And it's like, it's not about the baby. It's actually about the person who's still here now and the loss of the hopes, dreams, and expectations they had about what that little life was going to be with them and for them and to them. Right. Like, and, and that daydreaming that they'd been doing maybe their whole life, they could have been 12 the first time they dreamed of having a baby. And now that dream has been lost and that identity, am I ever going to be a mom? So much uncertainty. So like, there's just so much they're grieving and, and people saying, oh, well you can have other kids. Well, that's not what this is about. Right. Right. Like, even if I can, maybe that is true. And I am still grieving and devastated. Yeah. So that's the second definition that I really appreciate so deeply because it really represents a lot there, you know. Well, because I think the reality is, is we live in a world that hasn't, I think it's transforming into it now, but prior to, let's just say this day, um, it ha- we have not really lived in a world that goes below the surface. And I think that's where this whole new age is coming in and why so many people are coming out, like being advocates of emotions and mm. advocates of the word transformation and, and, and meaning it just means like life after death, but not literacy of life after death of the death of the person gone elsewhere. It's like the death of self over and over again, the, the death and reconstruction of who we are, of our self-identity, of every chapter we go through. And so what I've learned in my human experience thus far on this brief time I've been here and however long <laughs> I, I am here is I feel only and literally only because I have had so many deaths of self in the last like 12 and 15 years of just different circumstances that brought me to more of the light which really all I mean by that is because I'm not really into the false positivity um, is brought me more into myself of being content with who I am. And because of that preparation and because of the 
identity crises I've had along the way when I lost my dad and other family members recently, like it wasn't, I had the moment of the human experience of that person. Wow. Like I can't text dad. I want to tell dad about this. I can't, but I was heavily inspired by it because I already know who I was before then, if that makes sense. So I had a lot of people worried about like, yeah, but are you actually like, are you, you know, suppressing your emotions? I'm like, no, actually like I've been very inspired by my father's death. I started a podcast a couple weeks later. Like, <laughs> um, I was inspired and I hear his voice saying, yes, this is like, this is it. Like, this is what I, I would want you if I, you know, to have a want. This is what would make me happy. Yeah. Like live on, like breathe yeah. on and continue on. And it's only, only because of what I've done for myself before. It's only because I've grieved myself many times that I didn't really have to grieve my identity without him, I found it immediately in a new light and a new, a new way, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. It makes sense. I love that. And I love, I love and appreciate your friends and people in your life checking in on you to make sure that that's true. Um, I want to read something to you that some, a friend of mine sent me a few years ago. Um, and it's, it's kind of a cool thing that really aligns with what you and I are talking about, which is the death of ourselves, right? Like the de- a thousand deaths. It says, To love someone long-term, it's by Heidi Priebe, P-R-I-E-B-E. To love someone long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the people they used to be. The people they're too exhausted to be any longer. The people they don't recognize inside themselves anymore. The people they grew out of. The people they never ended up growing into. We so badly want the people we love to get their spark back when it burns out, to become speedily found when they are lost. But it is not our job to hold anyone accountable to the people they used to be. It is our job to travel with them between each version and to honor what emerges along the way. Sometimes it will be an even more luminescent flame. Sometimes it will be a flicker that disappears and temporarily floods the room with the perfect and necessary darkness. Wow. That gave me chills and tears in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah. When I read that, I just remember being like, that, that is it. You know, that is something that we all need to remember is that we live a million lives, even in our one life here on earth. Do. Yeah. And I think like, that's, that's what I always try to bring people in is like the whole, I'm right where I need to be. I say that over and over and over again. And and it, it's a hard place sometimes to realize like you're right where you need to be because then again, you're longing to where you've come from or where you want to go. But the reality is, is like, you will get there and you have gotten like you have had and you shall have like, why don't we just be? And that's the struggle is to be because sometimes right now in that, that, Everything isn't figured out yet. Everything isn't linear yet, but what's to come, but what I once had. Like, so that was a process that I think actually prepared me for my dad's death was actually was not stemmed by anything sad at all. I was building a new house. Um, and I ended up during the time my, my family and I lived on my in-laws property in this like little cabin house that they built many years ago for my husband's grandparents. And like our bed was in the living room kind of thing, no internet. And In that time, I battled like one, I felt like, what a freaking diva over here, like, you know, that. But what was really happening was the universe isolated me from my normal tendencies to give me the ability to go so deep inside. I, even though my daughter is only two, at the time she was only like one, I like healed a mother wound that would have carried on like her freaking whole existence as I like cried out in the middle of the night, you know, screaming. And I hated it because I felt like my business was falling apart, but it wasn't, 
It was transitioning into its new identity. So my brain wanted to see it as failure. My brain wanted to see it as losing myself. I was finding myself. Exactly. It was finding myself. It brought me to this moment now, you know, like, and I think we have a hard time doing that because we do, we attribute it to failure. And, and when we don't know ourselves, well, then when I've done something wrong, what if you've done something so incredibly right that you gave yourself this blank canvas that you get to recreate so many different times, you know, instead of this limitation of here's the painting, here's what you are abide by this now, you know, oh, there's a hole, fix it, fix the hole, keep the same painting, same painting, different location, make it work in that living room, make it work. I don't care what the rest looks like, you know, like we're always yeah. ourselves where now it's like, guys, you got the freedom to be a freaking blank canvas over and over again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there, I think one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important to say is that fear is often the thing that gets in the way, you know, oh, fear yeah. of change, fear of of not belonging anymore to where we used to belong. Um, because when we lose someone we love, a lot of times what transpires is the loss of a lot of other relationships because the people who know how to support us and love us, it often becomes really evident. And, and so we do end up feeling losing a lot. We lose parts of ourselves. We lose our old way of being in the world. And then we have to rediscover it. And like you said, it can feel like failure. It can feel terrible. It can feel painful, but it's actually just the rebirthing process. Yeah. And, and since you're a mom and um, I also am a mom, I know that giving birth is incredibly painful. And, and, and so every time we go through this death and rebirth, um, it doesn't have to always be painful. Sometimes it's just a shedding of some old mm -hmm. skin um, but yep. sometimes it's like the full on metamorphosis, like a butterfly. And I, I was joking the other day with my husband. I was like, I wonder if you like, I wish you could talk to a caterpillar and be like, like, are you ready for what you're about to go through? Cause like, you know, they go into their cocoon and they blob up, like they completely, their exoskeleton, everything falls apart and they get into this blob before they transform into a butterfly. And honestly, I use that image a lot with my clients because I think it's important to remember that we are going to blob before we become the beautiful um, existence that we are. Yeah, And exactly. So, and that, it hurts and it's scary. And so a lot of people just avoid it at all costs. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the whole thing when people is always like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Or not what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with my life? Why isn't this working? And it's like, just because you're going against yourself, like you're resisting the ability to like literally go from the caterpillar to the butterfly. And it's like, yeah, you have to let go and you have to surrender and surrender feels like failing or it feels mm -hmm. like giving up. It feels like you're not trying enough, but really in that, that stillness in the cocoon, you know, is where we really rebuild ourselves and yeah. transition ourselves into this, this beautiful, scary at times, <laughs> uncharted territory of the unknown. But I have found time and time and time again, and I know until you experience it, you don't understand it, but I encourage you to walk into the darkness because it's going to light up when you come in. It just hasn't been created yet. So your brain can't feel it. It doesn't know it. It's, so it's resistant. It's trying to protect you from going down the dark alley that contains the door to the amazing party that's in the courtyard. Right. <laughs> but like from the exterior, it doesn't seem like much. Right. I don't think that's there. You know, be weary of it. But right. when we when we let ourselves and we trust that inner that inner guidance and that inner core, like and to go beyond that mind and to go into that that feeling, which is a word I've, I used to like, be like, that's the, 
like weird word, but niggle is by my word. It's like a little niggle. <laughs> like, hey, you know, it's like when we start to be like, you know, it's there. You know, this had been a moment at some point in your life. Something's like, hey, you know, let's do something else. And you're like, yeah. And I don't have any signs. I don't know what to do next. And the thing's like, hi. Like, I'm, I'm, right like, here. I'm, here. I'm right here. And so eventually it's like, just take it, take it slowly. Like you don't have to rebuild the whole house right away. Like take your time on the blueprints, like rework them over and over again, not because you're perfecting it, but because you're finding yourself really asking yourself, like, what do I want and who do I want to be? And the, the best thing is, especially that you use the word permission is to give yourself that permission that you might not know yet, comma, yet, but you can find it through exploration exactly. of your own identities of just going to the buffet and trying out new things. Exactly. You know? I love to help people resource themselves when they're in that dark alley to remember like you, like you said, you're the light. So it's okay to be in a dark alley and not know, and not know the answers and feel like you don't know what's going to happen and be uncertain and just be like, if you keep shining your light, it will light up. It will light up the path. It will light up the way. And you do have to listen into that intuition and because it does, that's the, that's usually where your answers will lie, you know, is in the intuitive body, which is like connected to something bigger than ourselves. Very much. Yeah. So if you have one tip for people to leave them with today, so whether they are literally grieving a loved one, which a lot of people, at least that I personally have known, has gone through that recently of just crazy stuff, mm -hmm. or just the identity of yourself as we transition into this new age that is before us already. It's not coming. It's here. Yeah. Um, and people are going to fight tooth and nail, <laughs> whether they're conscious or unconscious uh, uh, about unconscious or conscious about it. Um, so if they're feeling the resistance and they're feeling the just, you know, feeling the blah, um, what would you leave them with to begin like maybe one or two tips for them to begin exploring the identity of who they get to become? Um, I think remembering that is probably a huge part of it, right? Yeah. Like, um, I honestly, I've really, I've been taking this class recently. Um, this woman, her name's Christy Marie Sheldon. She, she's an intuitive and a healer and a guide and a psychic and all this other stuff. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed from her is this one saying, she says, I bless myself with pure light and love. And it's, she talks about living at the vibration of love and above mm -hmm. and how, you know, by even just blessing ourselves or blessing others with light and love, you know, even just internally and just like feeling it with our hearts, it can actually help raise our vibration and allowing us to heal and see what stucknesses we have. Um, and so I, I think that that's one thing that people can do is just continuing to raise their vibration and remember that they're an infinite being of light <laughs> and that they, while they do live in a human body, this is part of their human experience is going through this loss and it sucks. It really, really does. And it's part of their metamorphosis, right? They're just cocooning right now. And that's okay. That that's normal. And the more they resist it, the more it's going to persist. So they're better off allowing the blobbing allowing the feelings, allowing themselves to be in it, finding safe places to be that way and to feel that way so they can move through it. You, It's not going to stay like that forever. It's not permanent. Um, it's temporary. 
And, and so I would just say just to remember that you're not crazy or weird, you're grieving and grieving feels, it hurts sometimes and that that's okay. And to give yourself blessings, give yourself blessings of love and light every day. Take care of yourself. If that means doing a tiny baby step, like taking a shower, doing a bath, like nourishing your physical body is a really good baby step when you're grieving. And that might be going for a little walk. It might be giving yourself permission to cry into a pillow, watching a sad movie so you can get your tears out. Tears mm-hmm. are want, like tears want to be out. They don't want to be in. They want to be out. And so the more you can give yourself permission to feel and finding places to do that, whether it's in a journal or whether that's watching a sad movie or whatever, or like laughter is also good medicine, right? It doesn't have to only be tears, but just giving your body permission to have those feelings and having them be expressed somewhere. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Exactly. Giving yourself permission to just feel and however you're feeling, just allow it. Um, because like you're saying, the resistance is, is only going to get louder. It definitely ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It's just going to, I'll call it like, uh, it's the same shirt, like same, like same body, just different shirt. Like nothing, nothing changed much, like still dealing with the same shirt you dealt with before. So yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And, and it's basically the aspect of giving yourself grace. Like you're human, everybody humans differently. We all feel differently. And then for people that come with suppressed backgrounds, well, you're going to probably readily want to do that at first, you know, but I think everybody's starting to break free of that unknowingly, as well as those of us knowingly that like, we must feel we're here to feel human beings are meant to feel everything. And, and just like when you talked about laughter, as soon as you said like laughter is good, but I'm like, yeah, the best laughter is when it turns to tears. Right. Like, not sadness. You are laughing so hard. <laughs> you have tears come for your eyes and it feels like you worked out your abs. <laughs> best laugh like in the world. Totally. <laughs> On yes. top of baby giggles. Those are my two favorites. Oh yeah. It's so great. So it's been an absolute pleasure of having you on the show. Um, you guys can find more about Laura um, on the show notes page. Um, and I don't know. I just want to say thank you for being here. This has been a really great conversation that I feel like we could carry on for like six more <laughs> hours. Because it's, I know. it's so simple yet so complex, so deep and profound and so needed in life. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm so grateful that you're doing this show and it's such an honor to your dad. Um, that you are putting yourself out there and, and letting people hear your voice and sharing your stories and letting us share ours. So thank you. Well, thank you. And bye guys. See you guys next time. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the daring to be human podcast until next time, keep on feeling those feelings and expanding further on your soul journey. If you want more, head over to daringtobehuman.com for show notes, links to any resources mentioned in today's episode. And if you are looking to take your human journey to the next level, be sure to check out my private members community. The links are waiting for you at daringtobehuman.com.